Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Rick's World Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Corbley, and today we are here to talk about the elections in France. To do this, we are joined by Damien Templar. Damien has a degree in linguistics, translation and interpretation from Izzet University in France. He actually now works in cybersecurity and is a keen observer of French politics. Damien is what we called a floating voter, having voted for different parties in the previous three French elections. We are delighted to have you on the show today, Damien. Thank you for inviting me. So today, while we record this, is the 10th of April, and this is the first round of the French presidential election. France has two rounds of voting, which is different to any other country we've covered so far. So can you explain to us non-Francophiles how this system works? Sure. So you mentioned uh, it's the, it's actually the presidential election. I guess it, just like in several countries, we have uh, several types of elections. But right now, we're electing the president of the French Republic. I'd say it's the major election, the one for which most French people vote, and it's very important because unlike other countries like Ireland or even Italy or Germany, the president actually has a big role in, in the French politics. It's a two-round system, and it's universal suffrage, of course. So it's a, as, as I said, it's a two-round system. So right now we have 12 candidates, and we, we have to pick one. And tonight at 8 p.m., we'll get to know the two front runners, and these two will uh, have a, a second round in two weeks. Nice one. So can you tell us about the main candidates and what they represent? So there's 12 candidates, and I'm sure not all of them have a chance to make the second round. So why don't you tell us about the four or five main candidates who have a chance of making the second round and where they stand in the political spectrum? Are they right wing or are they left wing? Sure. So just like many countries, we used to be dominated by a traditionally left wing party and a conservative party. So the, being the so socialist party and the now called uh, Republican Party. So Republican being the, the conservatives, right? Yep. Uh, they've been sharing power for uh, for uh, roughly 70 years since the beginning of uh, the Fifth Republic, right after the Second World War, if I'm correct. And yeah, so they've been typically sharing, sharing power since then. But of course, with recently with Emmanuel Macron and, uh, and I guess also new technologies, everything has been different and they've been kicked out of power basically after the Socialist Party blew up during Hollande's presidency and Macron was elected. So Macron is your typical new guy in politics. He used to be a, a minister for François Hollande right before he was elected, but he had no prior political position. He was not uh, an elected official or anything, just a minister. And uh, he's running for office again. So he's the incumbent, right? Uh, he's the most popular candidate, I'd say, for the first run of the election. I think he's polling at around 30%. And then the, the, the traditional parties that used to share power have both collapsed. The most dramatic collapse is for the social pa socialist party, right? So you have to think that in 2012, when Hollande was elected, Yep. Uh, the Socialist Party had both houses and most of the French regions and the presidential uh, and the presidency, right? Yeah. And they have lost all of this and they are now polling at 1.5 percent or I think a bit more. I'd say three to be to be fair, fair with them. But it's still a huge collapse compared to a candidate that won the presidency 10 years ago. So that's for uh, the main left candidate yep. on the right you have the traditional conservative party, Les Républicains, who is doing a terrible job as well. They've chosen um, Valérie Pécresse to represent them, but during a primary, and they're not used to primary. 
I guess the, the right-wing party is used to having a, a leader that yep. they follow. If you think about Nicolas Sarkozy, who was elected in 20, uh, 2007, that's basically it. Like he's the natural leader uh, of the right and he has not been able to, to, to run for office again uh, because of political scandals and, uh, and uh, rivalry as well. And they're not used to primaries. They, they, they've had a debacle in 2017 in the last presidential election. The problem is that the rice was really tight. You had four candidates, mostly uh, virtually all of them uh, scored 25%. So it's uh, not a good sign of a united party, I'd say. And the winner, Valérie Pécresse, in my opinion, had to, to run a campaign that is not her own campaign. She has to run after the, the far right. She has to keep up with uh, outrageous uh, propositions from the right because the, her, uh, her adversary, her rival in the primary was a bit to the right, uh, further right than her. And she's been basically being squeezed between Macron and uh, the far right. So yeah. people are, are seeing that she's not running her own campaign She's a bit more right than, than uh, her personality is. In my opinion, the campaign, her campaign really feels inauthentic and you, you just can figure out it's not her ideas that are being uh, proposed. So that's for the traditional parties. They're not faring well. Of course, you have newcomers that are disrupting this, this game, mostly on the far right. Yes. Yeah, so just to interject for a moment, you're saying that the traditional left and traditional right have fallen away, but... From my knowledge of this election, there are very distinct candidates all over the political spectrum. So you have two clear right-wing nationalist candidates in Marine Le Pen and TV columnist Eric Zamor, while Jean-Luc Mélenchon is a traditional socialist who supports unions and wants high tax on the wealthy, while Macron's kind of a charismatic centrist figure, perhaps in the mould of maybe a Tony Blair, maybe a little bit more right-wing, but that kind of that kind of agenda. Uh, so are there any candidates that are missing here or are these the candidates with a legit chance of winning this thing? No, I think those are the main candidates. If you think about it, uh, there's Emmanuel Macron, uh, Marine Le Pen, right? Yep. Uh, Eric Zemmour and yep. Jean-Luc Mélenchon. But that's the irony. None of these candidates are from the traditional parties that used to rule France for Decades. So that's yeah. why I think it's important to first talk about these historical parties yeah, exactly, and see yeah. their, I, I think I, I sh it's a debacle really for them. They, they, they've lost ground and yeah. you're absolutely right. And I think it's what's interesting with this year's election is that the four candidates you've mentioned are from parties that have never ruled France uh, at any level, uh, except of course, Emmanuel Macron, who is the incumbent, right? Yeah, um, Eric Zamor first because he's he's quite uh, he's getting plenty of uh, I suppose comparisons to Donald Trump. But is that is that uh, fair? Or is that an accurate one? I say uh, it has some some relevance to compare him to Trump, and of course yeah. there are some limitations to that um, comparison. First one being I don't think he's as stupid as Trump is. Uh, I think we can clearly see that Trump has some. Uh, he, he's not. I wouldn't say he's smart, like typically he's smart. He's, he doesn't shine with his bright mind. He, he probably has other assets, right? But uh, yeah. he's not your typical sharp mind. I think Eric Zemmour is smarter and in many ways more dangerous. Okay. Um, but if you think about uh, similarities, they're both are, uh, TV personalities. Eric Zemmour has been a columnist for a right-wing journal uh, for decades. And yeah. he's been the, 
the star of the rising Fox News. So um, we have uh, a news conglomerate that's trying to reproduce a, a conservative outlet, right, in France. Yeah. And he's been a colonist for that news outlet for for a few years now. Is that called? And, uh, is it called something different? And, uh, no, it's not called Fox News. It's called CNews. It's a rebranding of a former news channel and uh, the owner, a, a French billionaire and with conservative views and trying to recreate this because he thinks that it's not existing in the, in the, in the media landscape in France. So in that perspective, you can compare him to Trump as in prominent TV figure, TV personality with very clearly racist ideas and, and uh, some ideological adherence with Trump, I would say. Sorry, can you tell us? About some of his uh, his policies, yeah. Uh, the most controversial, I'd say, is he wants to create a remigration ministry uh, to remigrate migrants who've come to France. So basically, kick them out, which is a very controversial proposition, of course, because it has even legally, I don't know how we could do it. Yeah. And uh, of course, it's outrageous on many levels. And he's your typical uh, reactionary candidate. So. I'll give you an example. Macron's government has reduced uh, speed limitations from 90 kilometers per hour to 80 kilometers per hour on, um, on rural streets, rural roads. And he wants to bring it back to 90. And he has this sort of pro-car policy, which in my opinion is just a way to say, fuck the green, fuck the environmentalists, and has no relevance just other than shocking people and uh, being uh, mediatized. Mm, okay. So that's uh, Eric Seymour. So traditionally, Marine Le Pen is was seen as far right candidate. Am I right in saying that Marine Le Pen or her her father, uh, Jean Marie, did they were they to do anything to do with Vichy France when France was under Nazi occupation? So can you maybe tell me about Marine Le Pen, who traditionally are the hard right in France, and why maybe at the minute they're somehow seen as or she is somehow seen as less far right at the minute or what, what what has she done to make this possible i don't think she has done anything i think zemmour did a lot for her if you've heard of the overton window concept i mean it's really that yeah. uh, she has in my opinion outrageous policies as well uh, although i couldn't be as accurate as uh, zemmour's because zemmour's are way more ridiculous but since zemmour exists it makes makes marine le pen look less uh, less dangerous and she, to be honest, she has abandoned some of her some of her policies. Most notably, in 2017, she was uh, in favor of a Frexit, and she's understood now that it's not a, a good option for her. And uh, if she wants to be elected, she she had to give up this uh, this position, uh, which caused her uh, the, the number two of the of the Front National party to leave the, the party because he was really in favor of a Frexit. But she has given up this position, so. I guess we could say that um, that she has um, become milder, but I wouldn't like to say it because uh, I still think it's a devastating uh, prospect to have her as president. But she has done also a lot of communication efforts to to soften her image. She's been quite successful at it. And again, she's been helped a lot by the outrageous positions of Eric Zemmour. Just to give you a quick example, I'd say we can we, we can say that both candidates have uh, a shady past regarding Vladimir Putin, most notably that uh, Marine Le Pen had to borrow money from a, from a Russian bank, 
which has uh, which creates financial ties that are not welcome in in the past uh, few weeks since the beginning of the the war in Ukraine. But all of that, I'd say, is quite technical. Like having a loan is something most people have. It's not really tangible, and it's as I said, it's politics. It's um, it's hard to to fathom for for the voters. Whereas Eric Zemmour has said that he he wishes for a, a French Putin. So it's a very clear position that's damaging him a lot and in comparison making Marine Le Pen sound more more reasonable in her positions. Yeah so just to give my listeners who aren't familiar with the Oberton window it's it's kind of as explained here it's that outrageous positions uh, in politics can be made to to not actually try and get those policies implemented but to maybe make the negotiations to, to bring negotiations and bring more politics itself to either the right or the left. And it's it's basically a tactic use of extremism to then where a pretty extreme but less extreme policies nearly seem normal after it. So mm-hmm. yeah, this this idea that Eric Zemmour has been maybe a natural Overton window for Marine Le Pen is is pretty clear. But yeah, um I'm surprised that she's doing reasonably well considering yeah she she has been in her past, quite, I would say, um, positive about Vladimir Putin. Would that be fair to say? I think it's it's, it's fair to say uh, she had to edit or remove uh, political documentation where she had printed a photo of her shaking the hands of Vladimir Putin. So, of course, that's been, that's been uh, an issue. But I think, unless we want to open that chapter afterwards, it's it's linked to, to the, the situation in Ukraine and how, how it affected the French politics, which is interesting because it really had two, two phases, one in which it favored Emmanuel Macron, and now it's actually kind of damaging him. But I think we, we should keep that after the, the yeah, presenting the other candidates to understand the full landscape. But let, let, Let's look at uh, Jean-Luc Mélenchon, and then you can get on to Macron. Mm-hmm. Jean-Luc Mélenchon is a former member of the Socialist Party, which he has left at the beginning of the 2000s, and he's created his own party, the Front Gauche, and now it's called La France Insoumise. I, I don't know, he keeps rebranding the name, so I, <laughs> I don't know what the latest name is. But uh, he's been, again, if we keep traditional politics in mind, I think you can call him the traditional radical left, although it's not, I wouldn't call him far left or anything, uh, because he has done the same as Emmanuel, as uh, Marine Le Pen, he's managed to shift his image from uh, from far left to radical left and uh, and basically the left. And he's a very good speaker. I think it's, uh, it has a huge role in his popularity. He knows us to speak. He's very knowledgeable. The, the key point about him is he has a huge consistency. Like He's been running on the same political platform since uh, 2012. He's made some minor adjustments. So, of course, there are some, uh, some aspects today that may seem antiquated like he's uh, for example he's in favor favor of uh, non-alignment so he doesn't want to side either with nato nor with russia which these days is a tricky position to to maintain um, but it's been his position uh, for decades now and i think it really changed uh, the way people see him is that you have the, the, for example is his radical left right so typically not uh, a friend of bosses and businessmen, right? Mm. But he's received praises from the leader of the, the the union for bosses. I don't know how to say that. Managers have their own union. It sounds like maybe and, a chamber uh, of commerce. Yeah, sort of. Uh, we also have chambers of commerce, so I don't know if, if it's exactly the same, but let's go with that. So he's been praised by 
the, the by the the leader of the chamber of commerce we can say that for for being consistent of course they have major disagreements but the guy said that Mélenchon was ready to rule which is a very I mean I guess the the compliments from your rivals are the the most valuable compliments right and Anna can can you just tell me I suppose like what what is his main uh, we talked about Eric Zemmour and that like their main thing is kind of it's it's largely an anti-Muslim agenda although actually I'm not sure if you said that but yeah from my readings Le Pen and Zemmour quite anti-Muslim agenda what is I suppose uh, Mélenchon what is his goals for France like what does he want to make France become uh, well I think the key policy is tax the rich right uh, yeah. I think it's the same uh, the same vibe as uh, as the the Democrats in the US and uh, most left wing candidates. There's this trend about uh, redistribution and it being more uh, fair. Uh, I would compare it to, in that sense, to Ocasio Cortez in the US. Uh, that's a key policy. I think he's the one who tackles the best the environmental crisis as well. And one of the key points that, in my my opinion, is really important is uh, his will to, to, to reshape the institutions. He wants the president to have less power than he has now. You have to think that the fifth republic that we're in right now in France has been crafted by a former general. So, of course, with a very military vision of what politics should be. And the president really has a lot of powers and he wants to tone that down. So that's for the institutional part. And uh, yeah, I guess in terms of policies, uh, since he's left, he's quite typical. He wants to raise spending, hoping for uh, an economic boost. And he wants to restore uh, public services in hospital and uh, and schools, hoping again that it would bring growth and prosperity afterwards. I, I guess those are the main points. One thing that came to my mind, um, is he backed by Thomas Piketty by any chance? Ah, I don't know. I know that Thomas Piketty has been close to the Socialist Party for a while and backing their policies, but I, I don't know. I could have answered that. Okay. Fair enough. Um, so yeah, so finally, last but very much not least, um, let's talk about Emmanuel Macron and his On Marche uh, party. Did I pronounce that right? Yes, yes. Um, so of course, Emmanuel Macron is the current president, right? And he's running for office again. So basically, how could I summarize that? Uh, Emmanuel Macron was candidate in 2017. And, and to be honest, I didn't think he was able to win uh, because there was a very, very uh, popular I wouldn't say popular, but the, the typical right-wing candidate, conservative candidate was polling really well before there was a, a, a scandal about him and he just collapsed and that favored Emmanuel Macron a lot. Before talking about 2022, I think we need to get back to 2017. Yeah. Emmanuel Macron basically forced Hollande, so the, the Socialist Party back then, not to run for office again. He was able to, to basically track him into that position also because uh, François Hollande was not really popular at, at the end of his presidency, right? And he was able to become basically the new voice for all these uh, voters. I'd say the center-left. He managed to basically take over the center-left, the social democracy, and um, and get these voters. And uh, yeah, I'd say he successfully blew up the Socialist Party since the Socialist Party polled at 6% in 2017. And now what's happening is since he managed, he successfully blew up the, the left, he's trying to blow, to blow up the right. So I said that the, the typical conservative candidate is trapped between Emmanuel Macron and the far right. And I think Emmanuel Macron is doing a very good job at readjusting his policies a bit more to the right 
to to address uh, typical conservative voters and um, it gives him a very solid basis but it's a very tricky position because of course the further right you lean the more left voters you're going to lose let's talk a little bit about his policy so uh, i believe he's tried to do a few things he's tried to change up um, i think maybe the pension age was it and he's mm-hmm. he has reduced top income tax which is probably quite unpopular, especially with the, the socialists and so on. So yeah, so let's talk about kind of what is his overall aims. I know he's also, I suppose, the most pro-European, definitely by all the candidates from what you're saying. So yeah, let's, let's go into a little bit of his mm-hmm. policy. So yeah, he started, I think, um, at the beginning of his term, he removed the um, what we call tax on fortunes. So it's the, a revenue tax and replace it with, a, with another tax that is uh, not as um, intense on uh, huge wealth. Uh, what else did he do? Yes, he, he, he wanted to postpone the, the pension age from 62 to 65 on the basis that if it's, it's not going to survive, the, the current model is not going to survive if we keep the age at 62. So it's either we move it to 65 or uh, the system is going to blow up. Uh, which is uh, which makes sense, but uh, it of course has some limitations. Uh, what else? In terms of foreign policy, you're absolutely right. I think he's the most pro-European candidate, and uh, in my opinion, it strikes a chord with me. I, I think it's really an, uh, a good thing, and it's too rare in on the French uh, political landscape to have candidates that are really in favor of the EU, uh, because we tend to to minimize what EU actually brings us. But how do we see that? And it's not uh, like being pro-EU by itself has no meaning, right? It needs to come with actual policies. And uh, his main policy regarding, regarding this is a, Europe, a Europe of defense. So he wants to, to create a European bloc with a European army. Basically, he wants to, yes, he wants Europe to be able to decide on its own without being backed by uh, NATO or, or having to side with, uh, with um, I'd say, Russia or other countries. He wants Europe's voice to matter on its own. Great. You were talking about earlier saying that originally this uh, Russia-Ukraine crisis was very much favoring him and now it's coming back to bite him. So can you tell us a bit about why that is and why, how this is, I, I'm, for the life of me, I don't understand how this would be helping Marine Le Pen. Mm, that's strange to be honest but uh, the the first part was would you change your leader when your country is on a brink uh, on the brink of war so i think there's a i i think they call that uh flag rally effect people mm-hmm. tend to rally to to the flag when they they don't know what to do or at least rally to their current leader right so the war in ukraine was was uh, seen as um it, it, you cannot blame it on Macron, right? Macron has been talking with uh, with Putin a lot. There are some some videos where Putin is saying, uh, "No, what? Nobody wants nuclear war, and that's why Macron has been torturing me, talking to me for six hours." So he's not being blamed for the war in Ukraine. He's being uh, he, at the beginning he was praised for being um, for for negotiating with Putin and trying to bring him back to reason. He's been communicating intensively that he's still talking to Putin on a regular basis. I'd say weekly calls, I think something like that, to maintain contact. And uh, one of the key moments was when a journalist asked him if uh, Vladimir Putin was a dictator or a war criminal. And he said that 
there's no use insulting the, 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 the Russian president right now because what we want to do is bring him back to the table. And although I, as a typical French citizen, could call Vladimir Putin a dictator, I don't think it's Emmanuel Macron's role to call him that right now. Yeah. Uh, so, so that was seen as basically above all the candidates and uh, shown as a, as a good uh, commander-in-chief and good, good negotiator, which favored him quite a lot. Right after the invasion of Ukraine, I think his, uh, his approval ratings soared and the polls as well, like the, the, the voting estimates raised by a tremendous 6 to 8%, which was tremendous, but then it flatted out. Okay, so yeah, so so as you said, it basically r- rose, but why? Do you have any idea why it's now falling? Yes, I think it's. I read that in a newspaper, Le Monde, which basically stated that the French people now see the the the, the French presidential election and the war in Ukraine as two opposite chapters that evolve without dependencies, without clear dependencies, meaning that one doesn't really influence the other or the other way around. And the impact maybe of, of the French president turns out to be limited. I know that the Polish president has really had really strong words against Emmanuel Macron for still talking to, to, to Vladimir Putin. And now it seems that we're not going to get a diplomatic ending anytime soon. And, uh, and Vladimir Putin is not willing to talk. So these talks seem a bit, a bit off ground. Mm. On the other side, I truly believe that Emmanuel Macron wished he had more time to dedicate to the French presidential election. And he's been distant from the preoccupations of your, your, your daily French citizens uh, because he's been really busy dealing with the war in Ukraine. Yeah. I think at the beginning it was favoring him and he liked that, the idea of not having to campaign too much. But now I have the opinion that the thing he fears is being alive on TV, and this is the moment where where Putin chooses uh, the the moment Putin chooses to, to to invade. I don't know another country or a new region of Ukraine. So, um, of course, I'm um, I may be exaggerating, but you get the idea, right? He he's been really busy dealing with the crisis, and uh, it used to favor him. Now it's harming him. And back to the to the to what makes. To what makes this crisis uh, damaging to, to Emmanuel Macron is that people stopped fearing World War III uh, and stopped fearing even war in Europe because we see it as unlikely uh, since we're members of NATO and, uh, and etc. And now the real concern is, of course, purchasing power. What's our life going to be? Six to eight percent inflation rates that haven't been uh, existing in Europe for decades with maybe shortages uh, and uh, rising prices for gas, for, for, for diesel and stuff. And uh, Marine Le Pen has been really good at seizing these topics and talking about purchasing power, whereas Emmanuel Macron uh, failed to talk about it. And I think uh, the last point I'd like to mention is that Emmanuel Macron has steadily, re- steadily refused to debate with the other candidates oh. with very arrogant comments from, from people in his party saying that... Uh, Given the level of the other candidates, Emmanuel Macron will not lower himself to debate with them, which from a president that's been accused of being distant and, uh, and a bit arrogant at times, I think was a terrible, terrible mistake. So, yeah. So on to the issues, obviously, you talked about purchasing power. So maybe maybe talk a little bit about what Marine Le Pen are, are seizing on and what their policy ideas are for curbing inflation. And <clears throat> while we're talking about that as 
after that, if you would possibly like to get on to immigration, because I, I would have thought immigration would be basically, if Marine Le Pen was doing well, immigration would be one of the biggest topics, but I believe it's not as big a topic as it is in other years. Yes, you're right. So, so first, about purchasing power, I couldn't tell you precisely what Marine Le Pen has in mind. I ha- to be honest, I haven't been studying her her platform a lot. Um, I, I wouldn't uh, vote for her in any way. So, so of course, I'm uh, limited on that aspect. I know she's been grasping the topic a lot. I've read a, a lot of, of articles about it, but her precise uh, policies she would implement, to be honest, I don't have a, a lot of ideas. I, I don't want to mislead your audience or anything. Okay. Um, I know she's been tackling the topic and Emmanuel Macron hasn't, which is basically uh, the key point there. Regarding immigration, you're absolutely right. Uh, It's not as big an issue as it was in the previous years, in my opinion. It's been an issue at the end of 2021, I would say, when Eric Zemmour uh, teased his candidacy. And of course, him being very racist and very openly, and as you said, anti-Muslim, anti-immigration. It was really successful as impo- at imposing uh, an agenda on immigration. But I think war in Ukraine changed everything and the preoccupations of the French really shifted away from immigration to, to, uh, to person power. And it's, I'm, I also think regarding immigration that it's really not an anti-immigration position that most French people have. It's more of an anti-Muslim uh, view, which is a bit disturbing, in my opinion, yeah. uh, because there's been a huge, a tremendous backlash when Eric Zemmour said that he would not welcome uh, Ukrainian uh, immigrants. Right. Uh, whereas, of course, uh, um, Marine Le Pen said she would gladly welcome uh, welcome Ukrainians because they are brothers, they're European, uh, which makes sense, right? I think we should welcome them. But there, you can clearly see that the idea is, yes, we can welcome European migrants but as soon as they start to get too brown, too black, too too Muslim, um, sorry, I'm being very very straightforward with you. No, no, this is the key notion. <laughs> so uh, as soon as you start looking like a Syrian folk, uh, looking like um, a sub-Saharan African, or even um, uh, too Arabic, and it, get, it gets trickier, right? Uh, so again, when I was saying that Marine Le Pen looks looks um, looks balanced now in comparison to Eric Zemmour. This is another example, right? So immigration used to be a topic, but I think now it's it really shifted and it's really tricky to be anti-immigration when now biggest wave we can see is from uh, from, from Ukrainians that are clearly identified as, as brothers or as neighbors. Yeah. Uh, so of course it shifts, uh, it shifts the perspective. Firstly, who do you think you'll get into the last round and then who do you think will win it? Um, I'll digress again. I, yeah. I think we have a, a notion that one of the, the drawbacks of the two-round system is that you have a notion of useful voting. So meaning if you're on the left, you're not going to vote for the socialist party that's polling at 1.5%. Yeah. You're going to vote for Mélenchon because he has the most chances of reaching the second round. Yeah. yeah. And it's happening as well for... So it's, and it's happening as well for the first time for the far right mm-hmm. uh, because of outrageous positions regarding Ukraine and Russia. Eric Zemmour has been collapsing uh, because people see Marine Le Pen as a more uh, fit candidate. And people who want neither far left um, nor far right, um, I'm stereotyping a bit, but 
are yeah. going to strategically vote for for Emmanuel Macron, right? Yeah. And it's the first time since uh, I think it's the first time that we've been having three dynamics among candidates of useful voting, meaning that Emmanuel Macron is draining the center and mod moderate left and moderate right. Jean-Luc Mélenchon is draining the left. In, in the last uh, polls, he was he was skyrocketing as well. And, and uh, Marine Le Pen is draining the conservatives and the far right. So they've both, they, all three of them have been taking taking um taking off right mm. uh, in the in the latest polls so i think it's going to be really tricky uh i tend to believe polls so i think it's going to be emmanuel macron against marine le pen and uh, i think it's uh, not a nice prospect because i i wish i think ultimately emmanuel macron is going to win but yeah. i wish he had he had to debate with uh with someone on his left and not someone on his right. Well, you never know, but where are signs that perhaps Mélenchon might beat Le Pen, but maybe not either. Um, but I suppose the thing is within that, then I suppose Mélenchon voters will probably become the deciding factor. Hard left, hard lefter is maybe likely to go to hard right as the center. So I, I would put this, I would put this up in the air. I think the polls are on the economist forecast, they're giving Le Pen maybe a 25% chance of winning this. That may sound small, but that means if you held the vote four times, she would win once and Macron would win three times. And it only happens once. So maybe it's it's that one in four chance that she wins it. And if, if that happens, this could be a huge game changer for Europe in terms of uh, it would be probably the only man smiling out of it in Europe, Vladimir Putin. And depending on um, what you consider Europe, mm -hmm. Who knows? Who knows? I, I've been proven wrong in the past. Maybe she could become president and do a and do a great job. But uh, on her past policies and what she said, I really wouldn't trust her. I suppose we can we, we will see in the next week or so. Um, mm -hmm. I suppose if if Manuel Macron does get back, he will have a big he'll have a big task and actually bringing about some change or forward momentum for the French citizens in terms of improving life standards. As if if it doesn't happen this time, you know, eventually a a Le Pen probably will get into power and then we'll we'll see what happens because um if the center can't deliver it's it's gotta go right or left so who knows who knows anyway uh Damien thanks so much for your time I've uh <laughs> you're welcome I've, I've, I've thrown questions at you left right and center <laughs> and uh, yeah thanks very much for informing our listeners thank you for having me hi again so for everyone who saw the first round results from Sunday night, you'll see that Macron topped the poll on 27%, while Marine Le Pen came in second place at 23%, just 1% ahead of Mélenchon on 22%. Interestingly, Mélenchon urged his voters to vote for Macron, and his voters will be the pivotal point of this election. It is likely that Zemmour who got 7% of the vote will see his vote go to Le Pen, while it's probable to think that the 8% of other centrist candidates such as uh, Valérie Perquese and Yannick Jadot will go to Macron. So the 22% of Mélenchon is likely to be the key to this election. This is a very important election in terms of the future of France and Europe, and Le Pen victory would really shake things up. While Macron, if he does win, is seriously going to have his work cut out to turn people away from a populist politics of the left 
and the right for both the next five years. So I would urge all my listeners to keep up to date with this over the coming week. And remember, it's always better to know more about the world.